Welcome to Ask the Expert. This is a brief, informative, and lively discussion with experts in type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research. We're recording this event and we'll post it on the Sugar Science uh, YouTube channel shortly after the presentation. If you have any questions for our guests, please feel free to uh, put them in the chat or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. And today we have as our guest, Dr. Ron Weiss, uh, coming to us from MIT. And Professor Weiss is one of the uh, pioneers of synthetic biology. He's been engaged in synthetic biology research since 1996 when he was a graduate student at MIT and where he set up, uh, helped set up a wet lab in the electrical engineering and computer science department. After completing his PhD, he joined the faculty at Princeton and recently returned to MIT to take on a tenured faculty position in the Department of Biological Engineering and Department of Electrical Engineering Computer Science. So the Weiss Lab seeks to create integrated biological systems capable of autonomously performing these use, sort of useful tasks and to really elucidate the design principles underlying complex phenotypes. So sort of in a nutshell, cells sense their environment, they process information and they continuously react to both internal and external stimuli. One cell that does that that's near and dear to our hearts is the beta cell. Um, and of course it's alpha cell, it's uh, its neighbor in the pancreas. Um, so it'll be interesting to talk a little bit about how these, some of these concepts might uh, you know, extend that realm. And then the construction of synthetic gene networks uh, really you know, can help improve our understanding of such naturally existing regulatory functions within cells like those I just talked about. And um, it, it, they also sort of enable a wide range of new program cell applications. So the Weiss lab uses computer engineering principles of abstraction, composition, and interface uh, specifications to program cells with sensors and actuators precisely controlled by analog and digital logic circuitry. That's a huge mouthful. But we're going to talk um, about Dr. Weiss's work and his exciting new paper that was just published in Science in July 2020, and it was entitled uh, An Engineered Protein Phosphorylation Toggle Network with Implications for Endogenous Network Discovery today. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're looking forward to you know, uh, hearing about your, your work and what's going on in your uh, laboratory. Thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, so did you want to talk a little bit about what's, what's going on um, over in the laboratory? Yeah. And so I have a few slides prepared. What I wanted to talk uh, today about is actually two related projects, two projects that are related to uh, you know diabetes and, and pancreas, and one of them has to do one uh, vignette will have to do with the uh, manuscript that was just recently published. But I actually want to start by talking about something that's been kind of near and dear to me essentially for a quarter century now, which is uh, once I got into this field of synthetic biology 25 years ago as a graduate student, I kind of realized that one thing I would really want to do is be able to program cells to create tissues by design. And so actually going back 25 years ago as a graduate student, um, I was looking at ways by which we can engineer cells to create spatial patterns and then use uh, these spatial patterns as a means to uh, guide cells to differentiate into particular tissues. Uh, and start out working by creating patterns in bacterial systems by getting bacterial cells to send messages, chemical messages back and forth. Uh, but 
around now about 15 years ago, we began to uh, shift away from bacterial systems and really focus our attentions on mammalian cells. And the question was, how can we program stem cells to create these tissues by design? And now these are essentially called organoids. There's been a lot of really exciting developments uh, in the field of organoids. So one of the things in particular that we're interested in the, in the lab is understanding how to create uh, two kinds of organoids. I'm going to talk about a liver organoid, but also with the intent of creating pancreatic organoids. Uh, and you can imagine that if we can create pancreatic organoids out of uh, the patient stem cells or the patient's induced pluripotent stem cells, uh, we might be able to actually engraft those, transplant that into the patient and then engraft them in a, as a way to help address some of the issues with diabetes. And so you can imagine uh, creating these kinds of organoids I mean, is, is rather involved. And there's a lot of inherent biological complexity in these types of tissues and organoids, including the pancreas, where there's complex pathways that control the three-dimensional architectures of the, uh, the pancreas, the complex pathways that control how pancreatic development actually takes place, and there's complex pathways that are involved in controlling pancreatic metabolism. And one of the kind of foundational things uh, that we are working on is this notion that synthetic biology actually provides the appropriate level of sophistication that would allow us to really uh, gain control over the development of organoids such as the pancreas, right? And so, um, and this relates both to the work that we're doing, you know, directly on organoids, but also to the sense and respond mechanisms that we discussed in, in the recent manuscript. And so um, a lot of what we do in synthetic biology is to create circuits that can sense what's going on either inside the cell or outside the cell, and then process that information, make decisions about, you know, what is being sensed, what's going on, what's the internal state of the cell, what's, what's going on outside the cell, and then regulate what happens inside the cell. So what What's the therapeutic function that we might imagine doing inside the cell or perhaps secrete something outside the cell in response to changing conditions? So you can imagine situations where, you know, you have uh, abnormal blood sugar levels, right, that are detected. And so the question might be, can we engineer cells to detect that and then be able to respond by secreting, you know, uh, insulin, for example, right? Uh, but what I want to talk about, and so that relates to kind of the mechanisms that we're putting together, uh, the fast sense and response mechanism that we're putting together that we published on. But actually what I want to briefly talk about first is can we, can we use these sense and response mechanisms to control the development of organoids such as the pancreas? Um, and so, for example, can we start with these induced pluripotent stem cells, program them to uh, proliferate, create patterns, and then ultimately create a desired type of organ uh, using synthetic biology. And so what we've been able to do uh, with uh, folks from my lab and colleagues such as Linda Griffith is be able to take these induced pluripotent stem cells and genetically engineer them to actually create liver organoids. Okay, and that's gonna, I'm gonna tell you in a second why that's relevant for pancreas, 
And so these liver organoids that we engineer start with iPSCs, and then they develop into endoderm and mesoderm. Let's focus on that. And then the endoderm uh, becomes hepatic, uh, so create the hepatocytes and other cell types that exist in the in a liver, as well as mesoderm that creates things like endothelial cells and vasculature. So we end up getting these vascularized liver organoids that look like this, and and they become really rather large. And they, wow. you know, these are on the order, of, yeah, uh, on the order of centimeters or so. And by the way, I'm I'm happy to take you know questions now during these or you know or, or questions after. Uh, and so we create these vascularized liver organoids. They have all the cell types that are known to exist in liver, uh, a fetal liver, and they have the right you know liver function uh, to a large extent. And so the question is, can we take something like this that we now can create a liver organoid, and can we ultimately create a pancreas? And so what does that mean? So uh, we'll start with iPSCs, and, and this is now work in progress, where uh, we want to take what we've been able to demonstrate with liver and, and demonstrate that for the creation of, of you know, basically customized patient-specific pancreatic organoids. And so the, the mesoderm that develops in the vasculature will remain the same, but uh, on the endoderm part, where it used to go to hepatic lineages, we will embed these circuits that guide the differentiation towards pancreatic lineages, you know, such as getting endocrine cells, exocrine cells, beta cells, alpha cells, you know, acinar cells, and so on. And so we've been working on a variety of sense and response mechanisms that would actually sense, for example, that the particular subpopulation of cells have become endoderm and then drive them towards pancreatic lineages by expressing the appropriate cell fate regulators that that uh, that actually take them down that path, um, and so that kind of leads us. So we so that's uh, a huge uh, focus of uh, work in our lab, and that is a sense and response mechanism that works on the order of hours or so. And so in the recent publication, we've also been working on mechanisms that would work very quickly. So on the order of seconds, um, and so that would be relevant. For example, if we're able, you know, if we're embedding sensing mechanisms that detect, you know, there's aberrant glucose levels, and we want to be able to secrete insulin in engineered cells. So we need to have something that responds very quickly, not not hours, but rather seconds. And so yeah, for that, I mean, it's even like you know milliseconds, I think, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think you can, if you do it with responses over the, the course of seconds, that's actually, I think, okay uh, with yeah. respect to, you know, to these kind of glucose sensing insulin secretion. Uh, you, you can't do it, you know, in, in tens of minutes, but, but I think if you have response in, in several seconds, I don't know, even possibly a minute or so, I think you, you probably would be okay. Yeah, well, several minutes. yeah, because I mean, in that in the natural, you know, situation, it's um, I think you know, the, the the whole sequence, the secretion and detection of what's been secreted is you know in, in milliseconds or seconds. Yeah, I mean, right now 
what do people have? They have a, a CGM that basically takes like five minutes to really detect blood sugar. So yeah, it's a right. big improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be done uh, rather than a, an external device. This would be done as something that we genetically engineer cells in your body. And they would be the ones that are constantly monitoring and, you know, and they can make very rapid decisions with the kinds of uh, protein, the, the, the key here is that we're using protein-protein interactions. Right. And because we're not, we're not relying in the other projects and most of the things that we do in our lab and most of the things actually in synthetic biology, they require sensing and then the response is based on the production of new proteins. And the problem is through, through processes called transcription and translation, and the problem is that the production of new proteins really is, you know, uh, it takes a long time. Yeah. You know, you need, in order to, to be able to generate and, and make enough new proteins, that really is on the order of tens of minutes to hours. Yeah. To get them to, you know, produce enough proteins. Whereas here, you know, we're talking about protein-protein interactions. Yeah, much faster. It's really, you know, it, it sort of follows the, the term, the switch, right? It's really quick. Yeah. And so the, so the way the, that we've been able to demonstrate these protein-protein pro, interactions is that you'll get an input signal. And so this input signal could be, for example, you know, your blood sugar level is too high. And so then there would, there's a state, a set of downstream interactions. So, you know, what, what would happen is what we've been able to demonstrate specifically is that with an input signal, and that's actually osmolarity from the outside, uh, we're able to show that these proteins inside the cell get phosphorylated, so they change their the phosphate groups on the proteins, and as a result of that, the upstream protein will then bind. It's phosphorylated, will bind the downstream protein. So that's due to this, you know, external sensing of osmolarity, uh, uh, followed by phosphorylation of the upstream, followed by regulation of the downstream element. So yeah. we, have, we have this cascade of events that takes place, and we've been able to show that this mechanism here can be used to build all kinds of logic, like in the way that you, know, you have computer logic that uh, works on and or not type of operations. We've been able to demonstrate that we can engineer uh, biological uh, you know, uh, pathways and biological interactions through protein-protein uh, relationships and interactions that perform an OR operation. An OR operation would be either this input is high or this input is high, and that ends up resulting in phosphorylation of a downstream element. So we've been able to show that. We've been able to show things like NOT gate. So NOT gate means that if the upstream element is phosphorylated, then the downstream element is not should not be phosphorylated, and vice versa. If the upstream element is phosphorylated, then the downstream element should not be phosphorylated. So it's doing the logical not in, or inversion operation. And so the critical thing about these logic gates, the or and the not logic gates, is in, in principle that allows you to build any kind of logic control circuit that you want. So if you want to have the ability to detect very quickly you know, these aberrant conditions, and maybe not just one, maybe there's, you know, it's more complex than that, you know, you can build logic operations that can detect kind of this multi-state variables. 
And we've been able to then show that we can take these basic control units, and I'm specifying that here as OR and NOT gates and other kinds of gates, and actually build them inside cells. And I'm not going to get into all the details of all of these interactions. This is a fairly complex network. But this is a network that we've been able to engineer in yeast that can, can sense sorbitol levels from the outside or can sense another molecule called IP and basically can set a switch. So this becomes like a one-bit memory inside these cells. So they can remember, oh, you know, that we sense this level, you know, glucose or, or something else or hormones in your body. And that, that allows setting of the switch and the switch is actually very fast. So the switch, here you can see the, the protein, uh, fluorescent protein molecules going in and out of the nucleus of the cell. They go in and out of the nucleus. And um, this, is this is shown reactions in minutes, but we've actually in the paper been able to demonstrate that we can sense an event that just one second, that took place just for one second, and we can have a permanent memory of that event even though it wow. was only like super transient this is fantastic yeah. so that one thank you and so yeah so we're hoping now to be able to use that for engineering cells that we can then embed in your body that can do this very fast sense and response you know with an eye you know perhaps towards diabetes is certainly something that we've been thinking about also other kinds of you know misregulation if you have certain cytokines or chemokines that are misregulated or maybe there's like an, you know, signs of an impending heart attack or something like that where you could, you really need a very fast, you know, uh, response that really takes place. You have to send something, you have to compute, and then you have to respond all within seconds. So that's the kinds of things that, that we're, you know, we're interested in. And, you know, wearable devices too that might be able to do all kinds of sense and and response mechanisms. So when you have this wearable device in the bottom left panel, that's almost, it almost looks like a tattoo. Um, is it some kind of overlay or is it, is that like a cuff? I can't really see. Yeah. So th this would be some kind of a device rather than, you know, this would be a biohybrid device. So basically it would have, you know, biology and electronics on a wearable system. So you can have cells that can sense uh, that interact with electronics and maybe, you know, tell you, you know, what's going on, you know, whether there's any kind of aberrant um, activity that's taking place in your blood vessels or, or so on. So that, that's one idea is to do it on the outside. And another idea is actually to do it on the inside so that we would be able to actually encapsulate cells. And it could be that we encapsulate cells with you know, devices such as maybe, I don't know, it could be a pacemaker or some, could be something that we implant subdermal. It could be something that um, we implant like in stents. So you can imagine all kinds of implants that uh, we could do that are, are hybrid, meaning that bio and electronics, or ones that are purely biological. So, and, and you know, some kind of an implant that is encapsulated by, you know, certain kinds of devices such as beads or something like that, where yeah. the where the cells would just be, you know, autonomous. We um I, I was I was attending a talk with Doug Melton the other day. He was speaking about, you know, his I'm sure you know him. He's at over at Harvard and mm -hmm. at HSCI and he oh, yeah. 
he's implant, you know, he's developing, um, well, uh, his company Sema now sold to Vertex and they're developing the implantable um, eyelets that they've engineered from stem cells. Yeah. And so, you know, he was talking about how it's such a small size is needed, you know, just the size of a pea to really incorporate all of the um, functional beta and alpha cells that are needed in the body. So you can imagine, you know, that uh, they're trying to figure out now where to implant this. And of course, how it, it has to be removable in case of uh, teratoma. Yeah. But I just wondered what your thoughts are in terms of implanting. I mean, could you even have a teratoma sensor, some kind of sensor in there that would, that would be protective and or alert um, to things going wrong in the system? Yeah, so you can imagine building uh, genetically engineered cells that you know, can kind of survey the number of cells that are present to them that are engineered. So they can essentially do some kind of a count mm. to, to find out, you know, is there like an overgrowth, an undesirable overgrowth, and they might be able to report that to you. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can imagine, yeah, you can imagine, for example, you know, you might be able to create, you know, we, we're working now on embedding like a liver organoid within these, within these beads, but also are interested in embedding a pancreatic organoid that would be uh, maybe like a, you know, around five millimeters or so mm -hmm. and be able to, in diameter, be able to embed that. And you can then imagine other kinds of sense and respond mechanisms that would continuously monitor uh, for performance, function, uh, number. So maybe, maybe if the uh, pancreatic organoid that we engineered is not really performing properly, so we could have these uh, controller cells that are detecting that there's not appropriate sense and respond mechanisms, and then report that to you know to the physician and let it, let the physician know that there there's uh, there's a problem with the with the the behavior, the performance, the architecture, the size, you know various kinds of things that you might be able to to detect. Yeah. And then of course it would be, you know, replaced, I guess. Right. So um, that's yeah. really interesting. I wondered if you could comment a little bit about, um, you know, I was reading some of your work uh, about the whole idea uh, of this system working directly on immune cells. So for instance, right, the immune cells ha are sensing problems and that then you get the, the miseducation of an immune cell and then it attacks and creates the autoimmune um, environment. Yeah. So like yeah. just to speculate or, you know, sort of throw it out there, how might this system interface with um, immune cells that are either on the cusp of going rogue or have got, become autoimmune? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So there, there's definitely been uh, some significant progress in the field in terms of being able to manipulate immune cells either to take them out of the body and being able to uh, re-engineer them and then put them back into the body. Or, I mean, something that we're quite interested in is can you engineer the cells in vivo, meaning can you keep them in your body and then reprogram them while they're, you know, they're still in your body. Um, and you want to be able to make sure that when you engineer these cells, you can guarantee that you really are engineering the immune cells and not other cell types. So you, so you need some mechanisms such as what we're calling classifiers to ensure that if, if you're going to genetically modify cells in your body, 
you're modifying the right cells. So the thing that we would ensure first is that the new genetic material goes inside the cells. It does a biological computation to detect, is this a right cell or not? And if it's the right immune cell, then it would make the modification. And if it's the wrong cell, the undesirable cell, then it would just basically leave it alone. So you, you need that initial level of safety to make sure that you're only modifying the right cell types. And then, you know, then the question is, could you, you know, detect that there's, like you said, there's a rogue immune cell uh, that's maybe proliferating or attacking uh, in un, uh, cells in undesirable fashion, uh, resulting in some kind of an autoimmune response. And the other flip side to that is, can we also engineer, you know, let's say we create a pancreatic organoid and embed that, can we also engineer uh, our, our pancreatic organoids to be able to communicate properly with these immune cells and make, you know, if an, a rogue immune cell is coming in, basically provide signals to that immune cell to actually uh, stay away. And so this, this is, you know, theoretically possible. It just has to be done very, very carefully, right? So for example, uh, cancer is a manifestation where your uh, immune cell is interested in destroying this uh, undesirable growth, but these cancer cells are providing signals to the immune cells telling them to stay away. You know, so things like checkpoint inhibitors or secreting any, some kind of immunosuppression uh, cytokines or, or chemokines that tell the immune cells to go away. So there's a or, lot of or, yeah, dialogue. Or not, even, or, not, or not showing their MHCs. Exactly. So, so we, when we do these modifications, you know, it's absolutely critical that, you know, as we're doing them, we're also maintaining safety, right? So if, if we're genetically engineering these, you know, pancreatic organoid cells to um, not respond or to tell the uh, rogue immune cells to stay away, we still have to, you know, have to make sure that we haven't also introduced, you know, cancer. We, we, don't, we didn't introduce teratoma so that we need to build further safety mechanisms in there to guarantee that that doesn't happen. So we didn't solve one problem and then create a, another problem. But yeah. that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of, you know, these synthetic biology approaches is that you can actually engineer the, the circuitry uh, to create, you know, safety switches and so on. Well, that's still one of the biggest issues, right? Is the, once you implant islets, you may have, you know, great alpha cells, beta cells, everything's ready to go. You implant the islets, but still the immune system has a memory. And in those who have had type one for a while, that immune uh, memory is going to be reactivated once it sees functioning beta cells. So, so yeah, th there's a lot of work around sort of this invisibility cloak, if you want to call it that, um, and trying to get... Back. And trying to get uh, the uh, implanted islets to fly under the immune radar so that they, the patient doesn't need to take the immunosuppressants. And it does exactly. seem that this switching, you know, this sort of switching idea is just such a, a really interesting one. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, you'd almost have to have the two switches. You have to, you have to switch, you know, put on the invisibility cloak and meanwhile be counting cells nearby, <laughs> something's got to be counting to make sure right. that teratomas aren't forming. So um, exactly. it's really a fascinating. Need to, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's super fascinating. And I also wonder about one thing that's really interesting is that 
people that uh, get, you know, first display this, this one autoantibody GAD 65, they typically have um, the DR3, DR2 HLA group. And so, you know, the, the whole, the whole disease is getting more finely, more refined. It's more, you know, understood about you yeah. know, who gets what and how the progression happens for different genetic uh, profiles. So, I mean, you have to think about like, you know, essentially it might be different um, combinations um, of, yeah. of, of sensors and networks that have to be addressed in, in different patients. Um, but in terms of that HLA group, you know, the DR3, DR2 getting susceptible to, um, to autoimmune, you know, the first autoantibody uh, arising uh, is GAD65. Um, what, about, what about a signaling um, intervention there? Yeah, but, you know, anytime you, you mess around, you know, with that, with that HLA, then the question is, do the natural killer cells actually detect, you yeah. know, the aberrant behavior. So that's, that's one, you know, th so there's been uh, really a tremendous amount of emphasis on creating hypo hypoimmunogenic iPSCs, right? Mm -hmm. So ones that don't have, you know, the HLA. And the problem is that, you know, with biology, there's always, you know, there's always this balance. There's always like trade-offs. There's always redundant pathways. And so, what, what can happen in that situation is a natural killer cell. So rather, you won't get attacked by, let's say, CDA T cells, but you will then get attacked by natural killer cells mm -hmm. that are uh, detecting a different kind of, you know, aberration. And so, so that's, that's the situation where, you, you know, you always have to think about what are the redundant mechanisms here and can you, can you then, so if you want to, uh, you know, reduce HLA, can you still at the same time ensure that the natural killer cells are not coming in and recognizing you as well? So you need to find, you know, additional, additional mechanisms there. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, you kind of have to find that the homeostasis um, and the trade-offs between all these redundant and, and pathways that operate to make sure that, you know, they've been developed in your body to make sure that, you know, some, one thing goes wrong then there's a backup mechanism to to overcome that, and that's where we need kind of the the multi-input approaches, yeah, multimodal approaches. Multimodal, and it does seem that this whole idea of the implanted, you know, um, islet or beta and alpha cells, um, along with some of the systems you're talking about, might be the best way forward. Um, I just wanted to open it up to anyone who's interested in asking a question. You can drop something in the chat if you're interested. Does anyone have a question at all? I guess we could say how how long to some of these systems get to market? <laughs> <laughs> That's I would like to say the million dollar question, but it's really a billion dollar question or more. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, nobody really knows. I think that uh, under you know, kind of the, our most optimistic timelines, I mean, it could be a few years. Um, where maybe not might not fully to market, but certainly making their way through uh, some clinical trials. So you know, depending on the level of complexity that you're talking about, you know, there's some things that we're interested in. So you know, in in terms of organoids, that optimistically maybe in two to three years we could begin to think about, you know, the 
entry towards uh, phase one clinical trials. Um, so, so it really, you know, really depends. And, and I think that there are, you know, different companies at slightly different stages. You know, some of them, I think, have IND-enabling studies. Some of them are really thinking about phase one clinical trials. And then, you know, when, when it's, you know, has to go through this process of, you know, the vaccines have been unbelievable in terms of, like, the speed at which uh, uh, we've been able, like, um, to take the messenger RNA, put it through, design phase one, phase two, phase three, and get it out there in a year. That's, you know, the timelines that we're talking about here uh, for these kinds of cell-based therapies are certainly much longer. Uh, you know, so whether they're going to be, you know, seven years under kind of optimal conditions to the point where they pass the, you know, phase three clinical trials. Yeah. And what other laboratories... No, it's it's yeah. in exciting times. What other laboratories are doing this work? Um, interested in this space, and you know, you sort of your collaborators, just to sort of throw out some names and uh, locations, just in case anyone who listens to this now or um, or, or later uh, has interest in reaching out for collaboration or just connection. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll do some free advertising, if you will, to the Mammalian Synthetic Biology Workshop that has a lot of uh, kind of like-minded people that are excited about the prospects for synthetic biology in particular. I'm sure, you know, over the, you know, the different sessions you guys have had here that uh, you've been able to discuss people, you know, they're working with uh, islet cells and, um, you know, beta cells and so on, working on the, kind of the biology aspects of those. I would say with synthetic biology, you know, we, the community is really uh, active and growing nicely. Uh, we just had a recent mammalian synthetic biology workshop, and that might be still archived for people who are interested in looking that up. And we had a specific session on uh, the creation um, of genetic circuits for stem cell differentiation and for organoids. And then we hope to have uh, the next uh, version of the Mammalian Synthetic Biology Workshop in Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, that would be next summer. I think uh, July 28, 29, yeah. if people are interested. Yeah, I see that yeah. right now, and I'm, I'm going to retweet it for you guys. Um, and, yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. How how big is that uh, group and that consortia? Yeah, we, we've had uh, about 300 uh, people participate in these workshops. Wow. So it's been, um, yeah, it's, it's been just a really fun community. Um, and, I, and I would, you know, if, if people are interested about learning how to create these genetic programs, the sense and respond kind of mechanisms, and what, you know, what that might, that might do, how that might help, you know, I really would, uh, you know, recommend uh, finding out more, looking at, you know, some, you know, whether there are going to be some, uh, uh you know, online presentations that were recorded from these workshops, and then also possibly uh, coming to visit in Edinburgh uh, to find out what's going on. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be live. So that's, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely yeah. um, share that with our community. And, you know, thank you again for this fascinating talk. Uh, the work you're doing is really, um, it really has a footprint in uh, type 1 diabetes, hardcore science. And 
And hopefully, um, you know, with your work intersecting with those uh, of, uh, you know, the work that's happening with eyelid implantation, uh, robust systems can be developed and, and, and things can move forward. So thank you again, uh, Ron, really appreciate talking to you and uh, hope you have a re great rest of your day. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for the invitation. Fun. Take Thanks. care. Okay. You too. Bye. -bye.